This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Try to put on the show. Coming through here about the worst, about the worst fan bases in the country. Cowboy fans. How can you not have Cowboy fans? Cowboy fans in Notre Dame are the same. I found that most Cowboy fans from Texas are a fairly agreeable. They, they've got a fair amount of self-loathing. Like, they're very aware of how long it has been since they've won a Super Bowl or really mattered right. in the playoffs. I, yep. I generally think Cowboy fans, because it's... It's it's usually it's the level of entitlement, right? Like Patriot fans are obnoxious because they think Dan, Danny Almondaroka was awesome and that Ju, Julian Edaman should be in the, the the Hall of Fame. Like that's generally that's generally what's annoying about Patriot fans. But it's it's the level of entitlement. Cowboy fans aren't entitled. At least the ones that I've run across from Texas. I would agree with you on that. I have a bunch of Cowboy fan friends, and they are very much self loathing. That is for sure. He is Paul Gallant. He had a really long night last night. No, I have inclu- allergies. He, yeah, allergies, quote unquote oh allergies. I, I was allergic to the four. I I was allergic to the forty five cigarettes I smoked last night. If, if only. <laughs> uh, we've got Michael Bumpus joining us here. It's time for Blue Forty Two. Here we go. This is Blue Forty Two. We're gonna go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, onto ready. Right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue Forty Two. Speaking of bad fans, Michael Bumpus, the Dodgers, rough week. Oh, goodness gracious. So embarrassing. The messed up part is I'm used to it, though. Like, we grew up with stuff like that happening at Dodger Stadium, unfortunately. So, yeah, rough. Usually, usually it's San Francisco fans, though. Like that's that's usually where the problems occur because you got San Francisco Giant fans and Dodger fans. It's weird because I don't identify either of those fan bases as being particularly uh, prone to violence. Yet you put them together and they brawl. You just ain't been to enough Dodger games. Yeah, <laughs> it, it always it a rough goes crowd? down in the outfield, man. Crowd. In the outfield, it goes down in the parking lot. It goes down like you go with people. After the game, you just grab your stuff and, and dip. Don't hang out. No kidding. Yeah. I always think of them as the crowd that shows up in the third inning and leaves in the seventh. There was yeah. legit like a gang that was sitting in front of me, the Dodger game I went to, and it was against the Pirates. And I was like, yep, these are Pirates fans. <laughs> they, <laughs> they are just wearing Pirates gear. That is for sure. <laughs> All right, question one for you, Michael Pump. It says Seahawks training camp is underway. You've returned punts before. DJ Reed being the full-time guy at cornerback means that maybe it's not in his best interest to have him back there. And obviously the last time we saw him return a kick, he fumbled. Should DJ Reed be the full-time guy at punt returner too? Or should somebody else be in that spot? Here's the thing, Paul. I appreciate when guys can be a starter on offense or defense and do returns, right? It's a dying breed. I mean, Dion did it the best I've ever seen. Hester played a little bit on both sides of the ball. Not really. He kind of specialized at the return game. Dante Hall, the same thing. If DJ Reed is capable, if they believe in him, I would love to see him back there. But I just don't think that's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, here's the guy that needs to give it a good go. Mr. John Ursua. 
You've been in the program for a while. You're trying to find your way on the field. I don't know if he's even returned punts before, but if you want to solidify yourself a spot on this team, he has to get into the return game. And I think because he's a slot receiver, because he's shifty, it's going to be perfect for pump returns. You don't want your pump return to be a 100-meter guy, a guy who can run straight and has all that speed. That's for kickoff return. You want a guy with some wiggle because once you catch that football, you're going to have four or five lines in your face trying to take you down. So you need that shifty guy. I think this might be a way for John Ursua to finally establish himself on this roster. So if it's not DJ, I think you got to go Ursua, and then you're going to give Penny a look too. The thing that is most interesting to me is how often you have guys punt returners and kick returners are two different cats yep like dudes that return punts generally do not want to return kickoffs and vice versa and in getting to it the explanation that i always heard was that the punt returners feel like dude you're gonna get blasted running full speed by another dude running full speed and and i i I want a chance to make him miss and and the the kickoff returners look at it like I want to be able to see who's coming at me. I don't. I don't want somebody getting a free shot at me. It's always because you think of those as overlapping, but they're really they're they're two different jobs. Yeah, they are two different jobs and two different styles. The only guy I've seen that kind of could do both was Devin Hester. He could return kickoffs and he can return punts. But you think about the great kick returners, right? The first one that comes to my head off top is like Ted Ginn, right? Great kick returner. Long, big strides, about 6'3". And then you think about the great punt returners. First guy that pops in my head, Dante Hall, the smallest guy out there, shifty, making a move. It's just different styles. So, um, yeah, and I like that mentality. Me, I was I was not a 100-meter guy. Man, my RPMs topped out around 60 yards. I wouldn't get any faster after 60 yards. So what do you do? You put that guy in a punt return where he's, he's got some wiggle. Different type of mentality, different type of player. The only guy that I've seen – being able to do both effectively is the great Devin Hester. God, Hester was so fun when he got the ball. Like, if you ever sit there, he is – Deion Sanders, Devin Hester are my two favorite YouTube athletes in the NFL. Where you just go watch clips of how those guys moved with the ball, and it was wild. Hester, Hester is crazy, the things he did. It, it, you know who I watched, side note, and I almost forgot how great he was? Charles Woodson, man. When the ball oh, was in his yeah. hand, oh, my God. I, I'm like, how did I almost forget about this dude? So, And he was a returner as well. Yes, In he college, was. at least. Yeah, God, he was great. I was there when he won the Heisman at the Downtown Athletic Club. That was so cool. He, was, he had an interception that year that remains one of the most incredible. It was a one-footed catch on the sideline where he reached up with his right and touched his foot with his left. Like, it was just an insane understanding of where he was, degree of difficulty of catch. God, Woodson was awesome. Dante Question Hall, two. another good one. Dante Hall, yes. Dante yeah. Hall was a video game. Question two. Do the offensive troubles on Wednesday's practice concern you? You know what? I, I looked at my, my good friend Paul Gallant's IG and, and listened to him talk about it, and you was on point, man. You pointed out all the things that they messed up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. That sounds good. But, no, I'm thankful it finally happened because it was bound to happen. That That is football. That is training camp. That's football on every single level. There are going to be days, maybe multiple days, where the offense just struggles, where you can't get a snap, where you're dropping footballs, where you're throwing interceptions. It's almost like a rite of passage. You're like, okay, we finally got that over with. Now we can focus on whatever else we need to focus on. So, no, I'm not worried at all because every camp that I've been a part of, every camp that I've coached, every camp that I've covered – 
it happens. I was almost worried that things were going too smooth. I'm like, look, man, you guys keep looking sharp and crisp out here. These fans are going to have expectations that you just can't meet. So it's nice to humble everybody, nice to humble the coaches, the players, the fans, and say, look, this is still a work in progress. Even after that bad day, they're going to be bad games. They're going to be bad series. There's no perfect offense. There's going to be no perfect drives. So, no, I'm not worried at all. I think it, it it makes guys go back to the drawing board and say, okay, let's get back to the fundamentals. Why were why was ball security so this garbage the other day? Why were our reads off? What do we have to do to fix these things? So no, I'm not worried at all. I'm actually grateful that it finally came, and I enjoyed Gallant's rant after the practice. You know what? <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't really a rant because. Bob, my my reaction is is similar to yours in that I I think they needed something like this. It's it's good for them to I think see some of the problems that they had last year are not so easily cleaned up in one off season. And I would say specifically for Russ, Russ needs to be challenged as much as possible. Yeah, because Russ can overcome this stuff. Russ is one of the best competitors that we've ever seen in the NFL, and I feel that he is going to take this head on I think that he actually can find a way to get better through it Bobby Wagner with that extra competitiveness too I like that I mean when you have somebody that is your teammate and you are practicing against them it is your job to make that player better if you are going to be practicing against him I like that challenge and I I, I think that you have to hold other players accountable. That's one of the great parts about football. It's a team sport and it's not just coaches that are trying to get you up to a certain level. It's players too. Yep. There's competition, man. And don't we want to see the defense have great days? I mean, we want this defense to go into the regular season saying, look, we're firing on all cylinders. We are ready to go. And yeah, I love, I love the trash talk. I think Bobby, it's such a nice guy. Like his trash talk is like watered down a bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was. But but at least at least he's throwing it out there. At least he's making Russ aware. Like, look, man, we're all over you. You know. And in my day, Dion Grant or Brian Russell would have been all over. Man, them boys were talking. Leroy Hill, uh, Lofa Tatupu. Now they were nice with their trash talk, but it's competitiveness. That's what you want. That's what camp is for. You have to push each other. So I'm happy that the defense had the type of day that they had, and I'm happy the offense had their type of day. Man, let's. Get going. Let's work on these things. 2009. Jim Morris, Camp Grind Em Out, where they had practices starting at 7.30 in the morning and then 7.30 at night. You're spending 14 days. Oh, boy. It, yeah, it was it was, it was was bad idea all around. Like, Horrible. it was... But How the was one that? thing that you did see is that uh, the safeties made sure that they were going to talk. It was kind of like an agreement was made that they were going to push Hasselback. And you would just hear <laughs> Russell and Dion Grant chirping at Hasselback the whole time. And it was... Because you don't usually see that. You don't usually see them getting at the starting quarterback, especially someone with as, as established a track record. But that was that was part of that training camp that I remember. Love it. Need it. Part of the game. Question three. One of the things that Bump has stood out to me the most at training camp is, I would just say, the comparison between Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. And, and I think Penny's still shaking off some of the cobwebs. But Chris Carson, and I think it was in Tuesday's practice, goodness gracious he he looked filthy I mean he was juking back and forth he's doing all the things that we expect out of Chris Carson and it looks like he's 100% healthy which last year wasn't the case he had the knee sprain he had the foot injury they didn't use him that much last year so I actually went back and I compared the amount of snaps that 
Chris Carson got and the amount of times that he had the ball either thrown to him with a target or he had it handed off to him. And if you compare him to some of the other best running backs in the game, he's behind all of them. Snap percentage, he only played on 38% of snaps last season for the Seahawks. And, and, and this is in the games he was available, not counting the games where he was injured. And on top of that, he was getting the ball about 15 and a half times a game. Are they going to give him the ball more this year? Or do you think that they're really going to try to split things between Chris Carson and Rashad Penny? Because they certainly have talked about Rashad Penny a whole lot over the last couple of days. I think they will give the ball, give him the ball more this year. Uh, and I think they have to. There's no knock on Rashad Penny. I think he's a, a solid number two. But in my opinion, Chris Carson is a top five running back in the NFL. And for what Shane Waldron wants to do with that zone look and influencing these linebackers and these safeties to kind of bite down, 32 is really going to establish that. He's the guy who's going to get downhill. He's the guy who's going to break tackles right now and make you pay for trying to come up and, and wrap him up. I don't see Rashad Penny kind of instilling that fear in the defense right now. Can he get there? Eventually, we will see. He has to be healthy. He just hasn't been healthy. But what we do know is that when 32 gets the ball, man, he can get hit in the backfield. He's still going to fall forward at least three yards at minimum. You know, that's just what he does. So I think they will feed him the ball. I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to get as much touches as uh, Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott. I, he just doesn't need to. And I think that because of the weapons and offense that is going to be installed, he doesn't have to. He becomes... It becomes a, uh, what do you call like a distraction. You know, he, he, he's, he's an illusion now. You think he's going to get the ball, but now you got that jet sweep, boom, you got that, oh, that deep cross over the middle. So he will touch the ball a bit more, but there's no need for him to touch that rock, what, Ezekiel Elliott, 69% of the time. Derrick Henry, yeah. 66% of the time. I just don't yeah. think there's a need for that. Man, when I looked at Paul's chart that he put together, and that is Blue 42. Our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Paul put together a chart, and basically, Paul, you looked at the top ten running backs, and yeah, then and, and then broke basically down basically based off of name alone, and honestly, right. it's subjective who's top ten. But it was more mostly just to make a comparison. And you know, the, the thing that struck me the most too, I, at the very bottom, right next to Chris Carson, I put the two guys who split the most carries, who also have been considered top five running backs in the last five years, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, who are both on the Cleveland Browns. And even Nick Chubb, who's splitting time with Kareem Hunt, had more snap percentage of, of he was on the field more than than Chris Carson was with the Seahawks last year. I mean, Nick Chubb had thirty nine percent of the snaps, and Kareem Hunt had fifty two percent of the snaps because he's more of a versatile, he can catch the football kind of running back. So. They didn't have him on the field a whole lot last year, and there are times where I remembered just asking, wait, why did they take Chris Carson out of the game uh, a couple of times last year? And maybe it was because, you know, they were trying to manage his snaps, and I understand that. You want to have him healthy for the playoffs. You didn't have him healthy in the playoffs in 2019, but this is your best running back by far, and, and I feel like, you know, we're just seeing – the wide open example of that and maybe back in 2019 you know when Rashad Penny was healthy maybe you actually had a case to say hey this guy Penny is not that far off talent wise when it comes to Carson but at least right now based off of what I've seen at training camp I feel like it's very clear that Carson is the number one guy and I I don't know if I want to you know have him on the field as, as you were saying bump like 70% of the time or 66% of the time like with Elliot and Henry but I still want to have him on the field a lot that's for sure it's good for business too not having Carson out there. We know that he he gets banged up from time to time. All running backs do just because of the position, but I think it's good for business. You know, I, I said that Rashad Penny is a solid number two. Alex Collins is right on him too, man. Yeah. I mean, it's not even 
it's not even guaranteed that, that Penny's going to have that spot. So the more guys you can have in rotation at that RB spot, I think the better. But when it comes down to, to winning a game or closing a game out, we know who's going to be out there on the field. Now, if it's, if it's a, a situation where it's third and 15, third and long, you don't have a player for this, you're just trying to move field position, you know you're going to punt that thing, go ahead and put Penny in there. Go ahead and put Collins in there if, if he makes the squad. It's, that's the thing about football. Situations kind of dictate where guys kind of fit into their roles. And with Carson, he is a we really have a chance to move the chains type dude. Now, if there's there's no chance to move the chains or percentages say that you're probably going to punt the rock, then you put somebody else in there. The thing with that was puzzling to me or that made me scratch my head when I saw Paul's chart and showing that his, his usage, both in terms of the percentage of snaps on the field, the touches he got per game when he was out there, was lower than 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 the other guys that you would identify as top running backs in the league was that Pete I thought pretty clearly after the season felt we didn't run the ball effectively enough in the second half of the year that I thought that Pete pretty clearly in spelling out that hey they started keeping two safeties back to to prevent us from throwing deep and we should have been able to hammer the hell out of them with our run game when they did that and make them bring that second safety up. And I I think Pete was pretty clearly disappointed with that. And then you look at the numbers and you're like, well, did they try enough? Like that was the question I had is you, you had Carson. Did you try enough to, to run it? Was it maybe not even so much effectiveness as opportunities that maybe Pete came away from it feeling like for whatever reason, we didn't use this guy enough. And when I wanted us to rely on the run game more than we, than we had, we just didn't do it, and some of that was opportunities. It's it's the flow of the game, mm-hmm. right? You kind of feel when you need to run the ball. You don't need to look at stats and, and say, okay, he's only touched the ball this many times. Like, the average fan can feel it. Like, Chris Carson hasn't touched the ball enough. You know, the, the passing game isn't working, so how do you counter that? You get the run going. And, again, you mentioned Pete Carroll talking about when it came time to run the football, they didn't do it. Situations. There are situations that just say, look, it's time to run the ball. I don't care if the defense knows you're going to run the football. Let's just line up and do it because you have to keep them honest. You become one-dimensional. You become predictable. Then you start getting turnovers, and your offense starts to stall, kind of like what we saw at the end of the season. When a defense sees one running back versus another on the field, Obviously, there are certain running backs that they're going to look at, and based off of their keys during the week, they are going to say, hey, this is the guy that's generally in when it's a passing down. This is the guy that's generally in when he's going to get handoffs. When they see somebody that's not Chris Carson on the field, I'm really curious as to what they might be thinking, especially this year, Bump, where there's not a lot of proven guys behind him. And Rashad Penny, yes, he's had some good moments, for sure. I think in 2019, he was looking really good before he hurt his knee. I wonder how they will feel seeing other guys in there, because I know when Travis Homer gets hands-offs, it's not always the best thing. And with DJ Dallas, still sort of remains to be seen what he can do as a running back. We've seen Alex Collins, but I think a lot of people have a lot of faith in Alex Collins based off of who he was a couple of years ago, too. So um, I'm, I'm curious, Bob, as to what you think the defense might see when it's not Chris Carson on the field. When 32 is not in the game, they're thinking pass first, right? You look mm-hmm. at the personnel, you look at down and distance, you look at what's the score, what quarter is it. I mean, there's a lot of things that they go through, right? Again, situation. But when 32 is not in the game, they have to be thinking, okay, watch pass, pass first. When 32 is in the game, that's, that's the thing, too, is people sleep on his hands. I know he says he yeah. has the best hands on the team. Um, probably not. I'd probably give that to, to Lockett at this point. He makes a tough catch. But 
He's versatile. He can catch the rock as well. 32 is the one that kind of keeps you guessing because you know he can do a little bit of everything. But, yeah, when other guys are on, or especially Travis Homer, when Travis Homer is out there, these guys got to be thinking pass just because the scouting report says he's great in pass protection. You know, he's he's not a guy that's going to run in between the tackles consistently at least and get you three or four yards. Um, so, yeah, man, 32 keeps you guessing. And these other guys just aren't proven. Alex Collins is kind of proven, but he hasn't done much in the organization as of late. Uh, but these other guys just aren't proven. Rashad's not proven. You know, Homer's not proven. So, you know, 32, keep you guessing. Keep him in there. I don't know about 70%, though. I want to keep this dude Yeah, healthy. that's too much. But honestly, like 52%. Aaron Jones got 52% last year. I think Aaron Jones is a decent comparison because that's a guy that was splitting time with other running backs that they have. Um, uh, Jamal Williams and uh, A.J. Dillon a little bit, you know, but – but I would say more than 50% of the snaps for sure, especially with, as you mentioned, Bump, his hands. I think he does have good hands. And we've seen him used in that passing game, that first game of the year against Atlanta. I mean, he looked awesome in the screen game. I would love to see more of that if they can do it this season, though. It's a new offense. We'll see if it actually happens. Been spending a fair amount of today whining about insufferable <laughs> fan bases, Bump. It's, it's been, it was spawned by the Yankees last night and the Yankee fans who reacted to Joey Gallo's three-run homer by this this feeling of, like, his signature Yankee moment. I'm like, well, first of all, that dude's been an all-star before, so he's had a pretty good career before he came to New York. You're also celebrating that, that Daddy went out and bought you a new toy as if you're entitled <laughs> to it. Like, a really, it's a really annoying... And we've, we've ranked through different insufferable fan bases. My one and two go, number one, Yankee fans. Number two, Notre Dame fans. I, 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 don't, mm. I don't like Notre Dame fans. And I say that as someone who used to be one until, until, <laughs> I, realized, until I realized about 16 years old what, what was going on and what the score was with, with how, how people root and why people rooted for Notre Dame. What's, what's your most insufferable fan base? And you can't say the Huskies. Why not? Because... Because it's Washington. Because Why we're not, not that insufferable. Goodness gracious. You know how many Husky fans who have no ties, no affiliation to the Huskies? <laughs> they walk around with their polos on. And I'm like, would you study? When would you graduate? Does your kid go there? Like, what's going on? With the Cougs, at least, somebody went to school there. Their, their daughter, their son, or something like that. And then, Danny, I heard you talk about my Lakers, too, man. Don't talk Lakers about the Lakers fans fan are base. annoying. Come on, baby. Don't be mad because we're the greatest franchise in all of sports. <laughs> Danny, it's all good. Now, yeah, you're, baby. now you're making Danny's case. It's all good. <laughs> hey, so I, I would say, but seriously, Huskies, I'm cool with y'all, but let's be 100. Uh, a lot of y'all be wearing the polos and have nothing to do with you, Doug. Uh, <laughs> but my second one would have to be, it's, it's, it's Dallas, man. I have so yeah. many, I have so many relatives on my wife's side who are Dallas fans. And I'm like, you grew up in California. You're from LA. Like That's where, the where does, where, where, where does Dallas come into the picture? So yeah, I would go, it's the Huskies. I got love for y'all Huskies, especially because I'm 3-1 against you guys, then Dallas. Those Dallas fans from, from, from California, who do they root for in basketball? Lakers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How did I fall into that so easily? It's Danny and Gallant. We're going to do this or that. That's coming up next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It's time for this or that. I, I will I will need to give a, a little bit of a nod to my young niece, Mila Blue. Uh, my niece and nephew and, and sister stayed with me for the past week. And in the spirit of this or that, uh, my young niece, I don't know if she doesn't like me. Or just 
likes to pretend she really doesn't like me. It's it's unclear. She she has a strong poker face. But as her mom asked her to go sit on a different part of the couch next to me, she looked over there and she goes, "You want me to sit next to that?" <laughs> Which was pretty funny and cracked me up. So for the rest of the time, uh, she prefer- so this or that. Maura, what do we got? We got some either or choices. Yes, we do. I actually have some sound for you guys this time. We don't normally do this, but Woo-hoo! I want to know because these clips both were were uh, just not very informative or a little evasive. I want to know who you think you learned the least from when I play these clips for you. So the first one is uh, Bill Belichick on practice weather. Come on. Let me actually. I'm gonna. We're gonna have to stop the music for just a second here. Okay. Looks like the field will be wet. If it rains, it rains. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, you know, if it's hot, it's hot. If it's not, then that's what it is. So <laughs> That's your first option. It's vaguely philosophical. <laughs> then we have Russell Wilson with Aaron Levine on whether the offseason speculation surrounding him and possible trades were warranted. <laughs> I, I think that, listen, it, it, I play professional sports, man, I, you know. The reality is, is that things change, you know, and all that. And, and I think that um, there, there's some calls going around this and that. And I think that the reality is, is that, um, you know, I, I've always wanted to be here. God, I forgot how many times he said reality. <laughs> I forgot how many times he said that. Oh, I, Who I did mean, you listen, learn less from there, guys? I learned less from Russ. Russ. I, there's, a, there's a philosophical point that Belichick is making, which is that the conditions will be what they will be. And we will deal with them. I have no idea what Russ was doing other than just tossing words together. He also explained weather. <laughs> rain yeah. is rain. It's got to be Russ, right? He says a lot and doesn't say anything at the same time. It's almost almost impressive how he dances around <laughs> stuff sometimes. I'm like, man, whoever's your PR person, man, they got you locked in. Like, look, Russ, you're going to answer this question, but you're not going to answer it, okay? These are your go-to. But when I listen to Bill, you know what rem- reminds me of DMX used to say in a song? When it rains, bleeps get wet. You know, just, just, just keeps it r- real simple. <laughs> do you think Russ already has public office for that evasive answer? Like, do you, do you, like, automatically get a spot in government after something like that? Here's the thing. Politicians don't talk like that. Like, this is because I do think Russ might have political ambitions. And, and I think he could do it. You you can't give that. That's a non. What he provided was a nonsensical answer. I don't know if you can do that as a politician. He said, "The reality is, I play professional sports. Things change. There were calls going around. I always wanted to be here. What? Like that doesn't that doesn't make any sense at all. Like that makes no sense at all. And and I understand he's being deliberately vague, but I don't think you can do that as a as a politician. I don't think you can say nonsense." I mean, he kind of pleased everybody with that yes. answer. You know, so maybe he is a politician. He's like, look, I always <laughs> want to be here. Yes, calls were being made. He hit all the all the main points and then jibber-jabber in between. He might be a genius. He might be a genius. And then just sprinkle a reality a few times. Yeah. Reality. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was too much reality. All right, guys, I have a, a hot topic for you next. I know that this one is widely debated. I I flew back from Colorado a couple days ago. I got to sit in, a, in an emergency exit row, which I love because I get more leg room. I'm a tall girl, but the I and I got it. I didn't have anyone next to me because the lady next to me moved because you can't recline your seat there. That was a bigger deal to her. I don't ever recline my seat because I always feel like you end up in the lap of the person behind you, and I don't appreciate it. 
Are you guys recliners or non-recliners on an airplane? It depends on who's behind me. Oh, you look at you look at the situation. You, I look you at see the situation. If that person that person merits merits leg space or not. If if it's a if it's a smaller person or a child, yes, I will definitely lean back. I have changed my I have changed my stance on this because I had a conversation with Ray Roberts about this, and Ray is a big guy. Ray's like six foot four, right? At least at least, six, if not six. taller than that, six yeah. six. Okay, yeah, so that's brutal. If someone behind me is tall. I know how difficult that is. So that's when I make the adjustment. But there's no one behind me. I should be able to lean back. I paid for this terrible plane seat. (laughs) You know, you should have free range of motion. It's about being courteous, isn't it? More than anything. Nah, son, I'm leaning back no matter what. <laughs> wow. I paid for this ticket. I'm sorry, man. I got my knees hurt. You know, I need I need to stretch out a little bit. I'm 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 not six six like Ray. I'm five eleven average as heck. But uh, I'm leaning back. I don't I don't even look back. No eye contact. I don't know what's behind me. I'm just leaning back. Cause it seems like every flight I'm on, they lean back on me, so it's all good. I have very specific rules between the hours of nine AM and nine PM. Unless it's a cross country flight, I will not lean back. Once you get to five hours, you got to have a little bit of flexibility. I won't be leaned back the whole time, but there's a. But if it's a two-hour flight between the hours of nine and nine, a day flight, I'm not going to lean back. If it's at night, all bets are off. Like the leaning back. And speaking of Ray Roberts, he performed what was. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen on an airplane. We were flying back from Charlotte, I believe. I believe that's where that's where the return flight was from. I think it was after. I think it was after the 2000. 16 playoff game I think that's when it was but I'm not sure of the date but Ray was getting on and Ray had a middle seat and that Mm. flight was full and he wasn't getting off that middle seat and he was seated across from me I believe I was also in a middle seat because I'm pretty no I was against the window because I take windows and I watched him say to the guy that was at the aisle hey dude who was a small uh, man of Asian descent said to him, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks for your aisle seat. And the guy said, no, I'm cool in the aisle. And Ray's like, you're going to have to take it, man, because it's going to be better for both of us. <laughs> and that guy moved to the middle seat. Like, he gave him no choice but to take it. And all things considered, totally well on Ray's side on that one. Like, yeah. he kind of got he gave the guy yeah. some compensation for it, but he's like, this really isn't an option for me to get in the middle seat. Like, you're going you're gonna to have to move over. It's going to be better for both of us. I might offer to move if I see a dude like Ray in the middle seat. Like, yeah, it's that's like, not gonna work. It's like Danny, you know, right? Back in the day when you're riding with your boys, we were probably the smallest dudes in our group. If someone had to ride in the middle, it was us, man, because my boys are like six one, six two. I don't yep. even ask. I just sit in the yep. middle. Like, go ahead, I've done you guys the same. got it. Yep. Yeah, it has to happen. The only person, if the one exception I would make is if Wyman was sitting behind me, I would lean back every time and try to get him stuck in the middle seat. <laughs> Would ask the flight attendants at Alaska Airlines, can you bump that guy to, he really wants to be in 14B. (laughs) B for being bumped in his knees. It is Danny and Gallant. We got Michael Bumpus in with us for another segment before we turn it over and look at what the Mariners are able to do and how they need to. Paul shouldn't feel as happy as he does after this Mariners loss. We're going to dig into why that is next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I felt dirty towards Oh, I thought you felt smoky. (laughs) What does Paul sound like? Text in 710-710. That's a great idea. Mac and Jack's text line. 
Bump, what do you think he sounds like? I think he sounds like Kathleen Turner. Man, honestly, I thought it was Lefko when I first heard. It. I'm like, <laughs> oh snaps, because Lefko has that 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 mellow kind of deeper kind of smooth but raspy type voice. I thought it was Lefko at first. Ah, uh, no, Michael Bumpus. It is it is I, Paul Gallant, and I feel like yeah, Kathleen Turner's a good one. I also think that I sound a lot. Like my uh, Nana, rest in peace, who uh, was one who liked a good Marlboro and a Bud Heavy. Let me, let me ask you. I, I just want you to say one sentence for me. I want you to say, I love the sexy slide of a lady snake. I, <clears throat> I love the sexy slide of a lady snake. <laughs> You're going to isolate that as a drop and use it against me forever. <laughs> I have to tell well, you guys, John Clayton, ever the professional, did his entire segment with you guys, and you would have never known. But when we got off air, he said, who is that with Danny? <laughs> <laughs> Not surprising at all. No idea. You sound that different. So I did feel dirty. At the end of last night's game, and it's not because of smoking a carton of cigarettes like many have uh, intimated or, you know, ripping things, if you will. It's because, Danny, even though the Mariners blew a 3-2 lead and lost to the Yankees, who they were fighting with in the wild card race, I found myself more happy about Jared Kelnick going two for three with a home run in a ninth inning walk against the Roldis Chapman at Yankee Stadium then I was upset about the loss. So I guess I am a millennial. I only care about individual accomplishments. But I, I think last night was a big one for Jared Kelnick. I feel like confidence-wise, he's got to be feeling great after a performance like he had last night. I mean, he hit, a, he hit a clutch home run. He hit a home run in the seventh inning to put the Mariners ahead. Yeah, that, that's how I see it, Paul. He was clutch, right? That, that put him ahead. Um, Gallo, Joey Gallo comes out and, and has his debut or, or however the announcer said it, his, his signature moment as a Yankee. But <laughs> for me, it was all about Jared, man. I mean, I didn't expect these guys to win this series. I just want to see them be competitive. And I'd like to see guys who have been, I wouldn't say Jared's been underachieving, but he hasn't been doing the things we've hoped that, that he would do. And he came in clutch, man. So I'm, I'm with you, Paul. I, obviously, I want them to win ball games. But um, it's bigger picture. And bigger picture is Jared played well last night. There are bad losses in a season. And then there are losses that you chalk up as sort of, hey, that was a well played. And it's not quite tip your cap to that. But you're, you're like, okay, they got us on that one. The losses in Texas were bad losses, right? Yeah. That's a, that's a bad team. You had a lead late. The bullpen's been your strength. And you've got some underlying questions after a change in personnel. Those are bad losses. Last night's was disappointing because you had a lead entering the final three innings. But it was a one-run lead, and you end up giving up a home run to a guy who's been an all-star as a new addition, and that's a Yankees team that, that really is, is playing pretty well. I don't feel like it's... It's not like Paul Sewald got drilled. He gave up a, a skyscraping, a wall scraper of a homer to a, to a left-handed power hitter that just got beyond... The, the right field porch. It wasn't a bad loss. You also had the tying run at first. You had the tying run aboard in the ninth. So I I, I feel what you're saying. And, and I, I, I agree with it. The most encouraging thing, both for this season and for the future, is that it looks like Kellenick is starting to hit. It looks like he's starting to hit. And I'm not going to go so far as to say he's hot, but he is hitting at a good clip right now. If you go back the last week, week and a half, and that's a very short period of time, it lo- but he's, start- he's starting to hit. JP still hitting. 
Um, Ty France is, is coming back around, France, you know. He, he's really he's, he's dug himself out some stuff. I mean, you got you got to find positives, especially when you're on the road, you're in New York, you're with that fan base. I mean, th- there's a bunch of positives that happened last night. We would like for them to pull this thing off, but what, what do they say? You never lose, you learn, right? And we're learning that Kelnick can get it done in, so, in, in some moments and that uh, JP is, is been probably with the most consistent guy all year when it comes to being in the batter's box. Uh, you know, can't win them all, and that's the way. That's the way I look at this. I didn't expect them to win this series anyway, so I'm, I'm always searching for positives when we enter series, and I'm like, okay, just win a game, and and we'll take that. Danny, you've been thinking that it's definitely possible for Jared Kelnick to have a hot streak. What? How much data? How much evidence do we need to know that he's in the midst of something like that? Because I don't think it's quite started yet, but he's definitely now hitting like a major league hitter, which is a market improvement from where he was earlier. You want to see a week-long clip or a, a, a nine games where he's hitting 400. Like, it, for someone that's hot, like, that's that's when someone heats up. When it's not, it's not even just a series where they, they hit well. They go through a week where it's a 50-50 chance of whether they make an out or not at the plate, and they're doing damage with it. Like, that's, that's, that's what, a, to me, a tear is. Is you got a you got a stretch where each time he comes up, he's got confidence, he's aggressive, and I, I think that Kalinick is going to be one of those type of hitters. That he he's going to be someone who, when he gets going well, and and I think I think that's it's between the ears a lot of it, right? Like I think he's dealing with a mechanical, and has made a mechanical adjustment, and and now and now it's going to be all between his ears and getting getting that confidence and feeling like coming up there. You hear guys talk about it all the time. The ball looks like a beach ball. Things slow down. Like all of those different things, which means that sort of an athlete's technique is is something that he's confident in, and he's going up there expecting to succeed. I also want to see him make some plays in the outfield, too. I yeah. mean, there was a, a play, I think a game or two ago, they got away from him. Clearly yeah. should have made, made a catch in outfield. And I think if he can get hot in the with his bat, and he can start making those those Fraley type plays in the outfield, those Kyle Lewis type plays in the outfield. I mean, it they help each other, right? Your confidence kind of transfers over to both sides. I would think, at least. Obviously, I'm not a baseball player, but as an athlete, you start doing one thing well, then you kind of ride that wave, and it starts to it starts to show up in other parts of your game. And that's what I'm hoping for this young man. We all know he has the talent. But we've also seen guys with talent who just don't put it together. So I'm just hoping he's slowly starting to put this thing together. And at the right time, too, these guys are legit in the wild card race. Like, legit. They're in it right now. They got to put some games together. They got to do some things that people don't expect. But for them to do that, you need guys like Kelly to do his thing. Bump, doing something on a big stage, too, has to just give you a lot of confidence. And I know you've played in the stadiums all across the country, but you know, I don't know whether it was in the Coliseum or something like that. There, there has to be a moment where you've sort of felt that same way. Like, look at what, what I am doing and where I'm doing it. Yeah, it, it matters. I was, uh, I would say mine was, we went to Auburn. We played in Auburn and I'm, we're warming up and I'm looking at these dudes. I'm like, they're so much better than us. They're bigger, faster, stronger. And um, I, I had like seven catches for 80 something yards, nothing crazy. But I had that moment on ESPN in Auburn, and I'm like, yeah, let's get it. I can play with anybody. So hopefully that's the same feeling that Kelnick has. Well, look, man, I'm on the big stage. I'm in New York. You know, I'm in the Bronx. Are they still in the Bronx? Yeah, they are. Yeah. The Bronx Bombers. Yeah. Still in the Bronx. You know, I'm doing my thing. So that has to play into his confidence for sure. Food for thought. If the Yankees are so rich, why don't they play in Manhattan? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> Real estate. 
Bronx is a cool spot. You can't you can't hate on the Bronx. Like the Bronx, the Bronx. I'm headed up there tonight. I'm I'm excited to go to the game. I'm going to be wearing an Edgar Martinez jersey. I'm going to be hollering my lungs out. We'll see. There we go. We'll see how we'll see how that goes over. But no, the Bronx, the Bronx is a classic spot for a ballpark. But it could be in Manhattan if they were so fancy. You know, you'd think they would have it there. <laughs> Michael Bumpus, we always love it when you join us. You have yourself a wonderful weekend. You guys have a good one. Talk to you soon. It's Danny and Gallant. Yes, it's me. No, it's not Mama Fratelli from the Goonies. Seven ten, seven ten. What does Paul Gallant sound like on the Mackinac Brewery Company text line? There's something that I saw in last night's game that I think is another reminder that the Kendall Graveman trade was a smart one. We'll talk about that and our feelings about Yankees fans next.